0: Strange New Worlds Productions wanted to take a moment and say thank you to our Dragon Tear patrons. Thank you so much to Doug, F. Sutton, Nicole, Kirsten, Beth, and Charles. We appreciate you and all of our patrons. Please visit us at snwproductions.com and see how you can support our work. So the party has uh, started its battle with the giant, which entered the field. It swung its giant axe at Tamsin, missed with a one. The axe is now lodged in the field, and next round, the giant will be able to pull it out and attack again. It is now Boblin, our goblin monk's turn. Boblin, what do you want to do?
1: I would like to flex my muscles, scream in fury, and charge the giant. 30 feet my movement. Then I want to run up his axe, do a triple cow into the air, backflip, go up about 50 feet into the air, come straight down, crane kick to the head, and that's how I want to hit him. You can't do
2: half of that. It takes all your movement just to get up to him.
0: You know what, though? I'm going to let him roll for that, because it's cool.
2: Boblin the Goblin, the only monk in the world inspired by bards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Triple south. I've seen a
0: lot of people in the community using Boblin the Goblin. I think we made Boblin the Goblin. Our, you know. So just so you guys know, with the, we're going to get a trademark. So every meme you make with him, we get a, a
3: quarter. quarter. Royalty. And I really can't tell if we did or not. Yeah, get props. Sometimes there's whiskey involved. If we well. didn't
2: make him, then we're <laughs> the ones who made him cool. Yeah, well, yeah true.
3: Yeah, sure.
0: cool, which is what we're talking about today. Mm. The rule of cool When to bend mechanics and break them.
3: Absolutely. So, uh, welcome to uh, Legend Lore, brought to you by Strange New Worlds Productions. And uh, as John just said, we're going to be talking about the rule of cool. Yeah, I'm John, a
0: DM Rockfist, sitting to my right is... DM Osborne.
3: Cody.
1: Dungeon Master Popatine, or you can call me Matt.
3: And I'm Dungeon Master Mike, or you can call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. (laughs) God, that was lame. <laughs> that was such a dad. You know, start. but you know that's why yeah, I liked it. It was a dad joke. That's why John laughed. Oh yeah. So, so what I what I what I definitely like about that is one of the things I wanted to talk about in the rule of cool because there's so many different aspects of how we how we can define the rule of cool, but uh what Matt as Bobble the Goblin was defining was that rule of cool in combat. And um that's something I've always encouraged my players to do is to try to make combat creative. Don't just don't just roll the dice say, I'm gonna roll my dice to hit, I'm gonna roll my dice to hit, I'm gonna roll my dice to hit. That gets boring after a while. And then it makes combat kind of stale and it's just really about the dice rolls, and it's really just about, you know, the mechanics of the game. And I've always encouraged all my players since second edition to embrace the different things you can do in combat. Uh you're you're standing at the top of the railing and your friends are fighting below you and uh but there's this tapestry, you know. So you could either take the long way down, go around to the stairs, or you could, you know, grab, grab your dagger, rip into the tapestry, and shoop, you just follow it all the way down, which I actually had a player do that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and I always, and I always you know how I always give out uh, role-playing points. I also give out role-playing points for combat like that, too, for the rule of cool moments. And um, Charlie is very good with his monk at embracing that. Mm-hmm. We just had a sample uh, example of that in Dark Kingdom last week where you guys were fighting the harpies at the, at the uh, Gate of the Lion. And there was a trailhead that led up to the gate. Harpy was about 10 feet above and attacking. And Charlie, instead of running down the trail and running around the trail to get, to get height, he goes, well, obviously the ground slopes up here. So he ran up the side and then launched himself out into space to make this attack. Plenty of movement to get that done. No problem. I just bas- basically said, well, you're a monk. Make an ac- acrobatics check. Now, if he'd failed that acrobatics check, some funny things could happen, but he made it, and then he was able to attack and kill this creature as he fell to the ground. Made another acrobatics check and rolled into, a, you know, rolled up to his knees like superhero.
0: It's like a it's like this sort of uh, give and take relationship between mechanics and the theatrics of, of tabletop gaming, where like if you are just playing mechanically, to Mike's point it's a very different game than if you're just playing theatrically, which is also a very different game. If, if even a game at all at that point. Right. So there's one of the things I like about even just the way fifth edition is written is it's kind of a balance of those two forces, right? Like, you know, there, there's even within the, the player's handbook, a lot of encouragement for players to be creative and do things outside the box, but then it's also a rule book. So there are the mechanics. What I would, kind of be interested to hear you guys maybe dive into is like when you're playing a character, how often do you feel restrained by the mechanics versus, um, You know, feeling like you can do those kind of things that Boblin just tried to do, where like I'm gonna ask my DM to, you know, do something. By the way, if I was, we were really playing that, and I really was your DM, I would have been cool with everything except the jumping 50 feet in the air. Well, you know, Um, (laughs) that was was a bit exaggerated, (laughs) but, but 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 that's actually a realistic example, right? Because that might have been a moment where I go, okay, dude, I'm not gonna let you jump 50 feet in the air, but everything else, I'm gonna let you roll an acrobatics or athletics for, and you might even break it in, like, and that's where the theatrics and the mechanics end up meeting, right? Where you go, okay, I'm going to let you try that, but it's going to start with an acrobatics roll to run up that axe, and then you can do your attack roll, and then make you roll another acrobatics <laughs> to see how you land after it, right? And then that creates this really, even though it's not mechanically sound, it creates, again, a really
4: cool moment. So what I'm going to say is that both of you guys aren't talking about really cool, though. You're talking about using the mechanics to do something cool, but that's totally allowed to use an acrobatics roll to ascend it what I, I think really cool to me is when you do something that's not mechanical so I'm a sorcerer I need to I teleported us into a location I use my only spell slot that can do that right things got bad I need to get out we have to get out right I want to go to the DM I wanna, I want to burn all my spell slots below it and I will take levels of exhaustion to get our party out of here that to me is really cool because that's something that you can't actually do but the DM is allowing it because it's badass
3: so to borrow a uh, term that Keenan likes to use all, a lot, I disagree. We are actually talking about the rule of cool as I just as I stated in the beginning, there are many different definitions of how the rule of cool can be applied. But what you just spoke of that was like a, one of my favorite and that's something I kind of want to talk about. There are these mechanical rules of cool and there are story rules of cool. Um, there are breaking bending bending the rules and there's breaking the rules. An example of that is when we were fighting Strahd. And, and this kind of goes back to what John was just asked, talking about. Are you comfortable doing these things or do you feel restrained early on when we started playing fifth edition, because we didn't know the mechanics as well, I was a little more, I felt a little more restrained, especially playing Stroud. I didn't, you know, I, I was trying to learn the rules We're trying to learn all this stuff. I'm playing a sorcerer with so many freaking spells, trying to keep track of all this stuff. But by the time we got to that level, by the time we got to that point in the story, I felt very good about saying, hey, this is what I want to do. Can I do this? And what John did at that point, I said, hey, if I sacrifice all my sorcery points, can I, can I cast this meteor swarm, a spell I don't have access to? And, and in that moment, in this very dramatic moment, that was a big thing to do for me to get rid of all my sorcery points to do this. And it was it was thematically correct, and it was breaking the rules, period. But John was like, you know, you know what? That's great. Let's do that. And it helped us, saved us, basically. But it was like one of those moments in the in the game where I just felt like it need we needed something desperate at that moment. We were about to get our asses handed to us. Well, we were getting our asses <laughs> <laughs> handed to us. And I felt at that, that moment there there are moments in the story where these heroic characters have to have some leeway with the rules a little bit. And I feel that as a DM and I feel that as a player. Uh, so to, 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 to so John, just to go, to go back to that point a little bit too, um, you know, how do you feel about it as far as not, not as the DM, I know, I know that you've kind of embraced it, but I mean, as a player, how often do you think you really take advantage of like, Hey, you know, I just came up with this wild idea and it's so wild, but what the hell I'm going to bring it up.
0: Yeah, man, it's
3: a great question. I think that as a dungeon
0: master who plays, you know, you're always thinking like, oh, what I'm about to ask is really out of line. You know, (laughs) like I know I shouldn't be told yes on this, but you get caught up in the moment. You get caught up in what's happening. And so when I ask for something cool, and you guys do the same thing, by the way, when I ask for something cool, it's usually in line with what's going on in the moment with that character. Um, And I, and what I'll do a lot of times is I'll bake in the penalty that I think I should take for doing that thing too. So there's like a give and take. Um, But I, I, I tell you this much, I don't look for, reasons to ask for the rule of cool i don't i don't look for that i more or less try to play mechanically as much as i can but i think that also means and you guys have dm'd me so you would have to tell me this but i feel like when i do ask to do something cool it's like you're like yeah you don't hardly ever ask for that so definitely i want to give you the ability to do it i'd say the person at the table who is the most comfortable with it is keenan because he almost like Makes us come up with cool shit to do, and it's it's made us be extremely creative in his campaigns he's run for us. So like, what's your approach to that?
4: So I think that fifth edition, it has it has plenty of rules, but it doesn't have rules for a lot of things. Also, like if you go like three point five, they have or even like second advance, like they have ways to trigonometry how a fireball reacts off of a wall. <laughs> That's right, a lot to right, me, right? But Pathfinder, that's where the Pathfinder Second Edition has rules to squeeze in between, like two like tight spaces. Exactly. So yeah, to me, like I don't want a book that does that. I want the DM to have discretion. So you got to be a competent enough DM to be able to decide what it is. But I always go to my my DMing style is really nurturing. Like you are real people. Like you are resourceful. You need to. You can think of things. Think of a power that you have or an ability you have that would allow you to do something out of that situation. Like. Utilize your toolkit in a unique way that maybe the rules don't say you can do, but right. you know, like, hey, I read the spell and it says it does this, but could I have it do that? And it's like, well, yeah, why not? Like, it's not breaking. I mean, it's breaking the game quotation marks, but it's not like ruining the game. So mm-hmm. you're able to solve problems creatively, and I right. encourage that.
3: And I think that's that. And that's the that's a really good point. So because you could have players that could w- might want to just abuse the hell out of this rule, right? You might have the player that goes, "Oh, I want to use the rule cool to say, oh." Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting my ass kicked by this thing over here, and, and uh, oh, he disarmed me, and I lost my weapon. Oh, but over here, there just happens to be on this wall a weapon. No, that's not going to work. That's, 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 that's just, you know, that's just bullshit. Well, that's really, that's lazy, yeah. It's lazy, yeah. basically. So you need, the characters have to, and the players have to, to embrace, know their characters well enough, to know the spells well enough, their abilities or features well enough to think about, well, how could I mod this a little bit? Like you know, that situation, like the
4: character, uh, or if I was that character, be like, well, I take the oil flask I know I have in my inventory and I yeah. throw it at him to, you know, either distract him or blind him or something. Like that is there's not really a rule for that. That's cool. As a DM, I'd be like, absolutely. Absol- of course, that's what a yeah. real person would do. You'd find something you could do in that situation.
3: So, so yeah, and in in and uh, so this this is literally bending the rules, breaking the rules. I'm fine with the rule of cool as long as it's not ever game-breaking, right? If it's not such a— Ruining, I would it's say. It's ruining. Uh, yeah, game-ruining. Game and and I wouldn't say it's somebody who's, who's, as 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 a resident, kind of, you know, more rules-heavy guy. You can call me a rules lawyer. It's all right. <laughs> okay, Cody being a little bit more of the Where rules lawyer. wears that player. badge with honor. And, and, and that's great because as a DM who's a little more free-flowing, I sometimes need to be random. I need It keeps us honest. It keeps us honest. and And that's cool. And even though I still always reserve the right to change stuff for my bad guys, I may break some rules just because I think it's important for the story or the challenge for the characters. But as the guy that is a little bit more of the rules lawyer, Cody, you did have a moment in the Quest for Booze campaign. And I would like you to kind of talk about that a little bit because it was a great moment. And I think it was actually our first rule of cool moment in any of our gaming that I remember. At least the one, this first time I remember really, I had to make the decision. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. I want to, I'm going to let him do that.
2: It was probably one of the first few moments, probably. What
4: circumstances? Uh,
2: we were in sigil. Well, first off, let me kind of, my, my mindset behind rule of cool is my, for me, rule of cool is more of rules bending. I really don't like breaking rules almost at all. Um, but we know. Well, <laughs> so for me for me, the rule book is kind of like a physics book, you know? So like I cannot run sixty miles an hour. I cannot change the
3: laws of physics.
2: Yeah, but my car can. My car can do it really, really well too. So uh, that's kind of a bad example, I think. No, actually, don't. Like, actually like it's not. I can't grapple someone in D and D I can't grapple someone with acrobatics. That's an athletics check. It says it in the rule book. Mm-hmm. But why can't I do like an arm bar? It takes almost no strength to do an arm bar on somebody. It's about le- mechanical leverage. It's about mechanical leverage. Yeah, absolutely. So why can't I do an acrobatics or, you know, I mean, if you do it right, why not
4: an intelligence check to grapple somebody if you're, doing, oh, yeah. if you're going yeah, about absolutely. it the right way? Yeah, if you, if you, you know. know how to do it, you had an understanding of biology, even yeah. medicine, technically, you could hit a you know, pressure point or choke hold or something. Yeah. A this medicine check
0: to grapple somebody? That's freaking awesome. That sounds super <laughs> it's, cool. it's, it's a nerve pinch, uh, right? Yeah. yeah.
2: Thinking about intelligence grapple checks makes me think of Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes yeah. Yeah. He's right. in the fighting pit, and he's oh, doing yeah. the whole, like, do the attack uh, to the ears and discombobulate them. Like, that's straight up. Uh, in, all intelligence. intelligence attack rolls really. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Yeah. That, that, that's a cool idea. But so it, we were in Sigil, and my my rogue, uh, Diego Montoya. Oh, what
4: Dele was his Vega name? Montoya. Montoya. Dele Vega Montoya.
2: De- Diego Cavallero Montego de la Vega Montoya. There, you go. Oh, uh, there we yeah.
3: go. My, I haven't heard that in so long. That, that actually brought a tear to <laughs> my <laughs> So, so day we,
2: day. we're we're in Sigil, and we're in a, a bar or a tavern kind of place. And I think we had our NPC guide with us, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to get out of Sigil and get to Faerun. And we're told about this uh, this cultist group, and we see these dark-hooded figures across the room from us. They're like 15 or so tables away from us. and They're definitely we, checking you out. You know oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like they're, they're watching on us. And I'm like, well, fuck this. I'm going to run across these tables. I'm a rogue, so I'm just going to like surprise, run across these tables... And I'm going to do, like, a flying, like, scissor leg grapple to their necks, spin around, and, and throw them on the ground. And then that, that's a, that was my grapple check. So you had me doing acrobatics rolls to get across these tables, and then I did another acrobatics grapple check to grab a guy and pin him to the ground. And, you know, six seconds later, Chud, our barbarian, is right there taking care of the other dude. And then we had our two captives, and we're interrogating them. But, like, I'm, I'm a rogue. I have, like, an eight strength but the way that I role-played it out, and it all made sense. It wasn't breaking anything. I'm not defying the laws of physics. Well, I mean, I'm running across a bunch of tables, but... You can do that. You can do that. Yeah. No, it's, I like
3: that. I've Jackie Chan do it. Yeah. yeah. I like
4: that because it's a great example of both. You had something that was mechanically cool that you used acrobatics once or twice mm-hmm. to get across the tables, and then you also utilized, or Mike allowed you to use the, the rule of cool to perform a grapple with acrobatics. You had both of those in that same mm-hmm. action. That's rad.
2: One thing that I do like that we do with our rule of cool is I've seen some RPG horror stories where uh, a dungeon master is just heavily favoring one player over another.
4: They find a magic uh, flaming sword. I hate it, things like you that. Sure,
2: things like that. Sure. But so it'll be the the favorite player will just be like, I want to do this crazy, stupid, insane thing, and the dungeon master just is like, That's super cool. Yeah, you do that. And then someone else wants to do something that they kind of define as cool, and the DM's like, That's gonna be tough. Uh, I'll let you go ahead and roll for it, but the DC is going to be high. 25
4: DC.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it kind of diminishes your, Players a lot in that way. It's just if if someone has a really cool moment, like they've they've been thinking about it in their mind. Like there's not like they're not just like. It's, I mean, sometimes it's like spur of the moment. Like I'm just going to do this. Yeah. But most of the times, you know, you're thinking about that, and you're like, oh, this would be really cool if I could do this. And if you explain it to the DM, and then you know, there's always the situation where it's like, okay, that's really outside the box. Like you want to make a toad out of thin air? No, that's not going to happen. But, <laughs> unless you're a mage, of course, you could do it. But if it's like something really unique, and as a DM, you should you should encourage that, and you know. Groom that so that the player the next time they have something that's really cool again, and you can then groom that more, and then the
3: players will feel like they are having these cool moments in your story.
4: They're utilizing mechanics better and role playing better.
3: And, and I think what and I think it completely ties into what we talked about when we talked about um, collective storytelling. Absolutely, it yeah. become these 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 rule of cool moments become really fun points that we talk about in the overall story. I mean, we're we're talking about like I just literally gave an example. Uh, of, of, of the guy saying I'm gonna cut my da- I mean cutting in with my dagger and I'm gonna use my dagger to slow my momentum as I slide down this tapestry that was over 20 years ago that we did that you know we and we we still talk about these moments now like I mean you, you bringing up the the whole Diego thing today when we were talking post uh, recording and I was like I was like oh my god I love that moment I remember how fun it was uh, how how proud I was of you it was probably the uh, first
2: time that I bent the rules to yeah. try and do something
3: I had a
0: revelation while we were talking. Mm -hmm. This is is a very good revelation. So you know how we talk about collective storytelling, being the DM and the players and the dice, like we did last episode? Um, And we uh, we talk about how the DM is God, right? All the rule of cool really is, is the DM giving a little bit of his power to the player for a particular moment. It's just you saying, hey, you get... .001% Point zero zero one percent of my power just for a moment to do something cool in the story. So it's not – the rule of cool is literally running the whole time the DM's running because he's, like to Mike's point, maybe he's making orcs that have 200 hit points, and that's not in the monster manual, but it is in this campaign, you know, right. and the DM can do it because the DM is God, right? So the rule of cool is just the player for one brief moment getting to basically – be the DM for a quick second. Yeah. I thought that was a gonna be a sermon Lord. when he
3: started. I thought so too. But but but, but it's sermon-like. true. It is literally like the finger of God reaching out to touch you on the forehead. It's like a miracle. You have ascended
1: my child.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so cool, man.
3: You know, I had
4: a really good point, but I forgot it because I was listening to you guys talk. It was great. <laughs> voices, I don't regret our, it, but I was. Like, I, had something, to is say. Mesmer, I had something to say, but I don't remember. So, what
0: about when the rule of cool is like, as a DM, like when do you say no to the player wanting to do something that they think is cool? Game
3: well, ruining. Yeah, when it's game, when it's when it's just too extreme, or when it's just not logical
4: or thematic.
3: Or thematic. So, for me, my rule of cool moments. And I'm much like you when, when I say, when, they, when a player asks, I'm going to do this, I'm like, okay, cool. And then my head instantly calculates, okay, this is the role you got to make. This is what's going to happen if they're going to fail and if they, this is what's going to happen, if they like, succeed, right? Immediately, my head is like, boom, 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 like just moving rapidly. And one thing, like, it's very rare that I've ever said, no, no, I can't try that. But I have, and you guys have seen that, where mm-hmm. I said, no, you can't try that. And the only reason is, is because it just doesn't make any sense. It's not thematic or it's just so mechanically broken that it, there's just, it, there's no way I could within reason say, yeah, that's okay to play because then that gives that player a little bit too much of that, of your DM power. Right. And that's unfair to the other players.
1: Yeah. I like to think of it as, cause we talked a lot about the yes. And when people are role-playing like as your DM, you want to be the yes. And, um, and so that's how you could kind of see it. But with the rule of cool and I'm, When you guys ever bring up something, I really like trying to do it. But if it's kind of game breaking, it's not. So usually what I kind of try and turn it into, and we kind of did this with the God Wars when uh, John's character wanted to use um, divine intervention to get rid of something that they were, and they were fighting a God basically as well. So he wanted to use divine intervention to get rid of something. So it was kind of a situation where instead of saying, yes, you can definitely do that, it was more of like a no, but you can do this section, like, you can do this instead and get rid of his ability to do reactions. Um, so it's, like, just be, a, like, a no-but if you want to actually still implement what they're talking about. That's
4: really good. Try and work with them.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, a
4: absolutely. middle ground. And I would say as a player, and kind of a side note, uh, going back to what John said, is I like to think of a caveat to why, like, if Big Bad fight with Strahd, right, I burn, I'm a fighter, I've used both my action surges or my single action surge plan on the level, and I'm like, we know we're like one of our parties fallen, looking bad. I'm like, can I take on two, three levels of exhaustion to do one more action search to get a little bit more damage? So there's nothing to do that, right? But it, I, I, came up with an idea that I figured out, ba- I figure balanced it, right? And the right. DM might not like it at all, but it's something that's not just like, hey, can I just take another action search? We're getting our asses kicked. Like I'm trying to go beyond. <laughs> I, like there's right. a reason, right? Like but I, but I
0: think in that moment too, you 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 know you're the type of player too that would be like, look, I, I just watched you know Strahd cut down Merrick. I, I I he's my my best friend. We've been through all this stuff together. I am filled with rage right now. I can't control this. Like, can this adrenaline surge basically be this second action surge via the exhaustion after? Yeah, absolutely. And so again, so now you you've actually. You, you're paying a price for the rule of cool it's mechanic,
4: anthematic.
0: And, and and again, that's something that I think after the session, you know, after you're all sitting around talking about it, you know, you'd be going, wow, that was so cool that that happened. Yeah. And that, that's a good story.
4: Mode. Hopefully no yeah. one's like, you shouldn't have been able to do that because of the rules. Like, cause it was cool. Like the, the yeah. whole point of that was so cool. You allowed it. Well, I, I so think well, oh, go what's, 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 Sorry, a, what's, go what's
2: cool about what you're talking about there is that it's actually aside from, uh, if you think of action surge as you're taking a, an entire other six seconds. So you're, You can't like bend time around for six seconds, but uh, it is physiological possible. You know, there are the, the classic story is uh, a woman and her baby gets trapped under a car and she's able to summon the strength to pick that car up and save her child. Right? Well, you you can totally do that. People can jump 15 feet in the air. uh, just standing still. It's totally possible. You're going to wreck your body. Mm -hmm. You're going to tear a bunch of ligaments and tendons, but it is actually possible. Mm So to to do something like take another action surge to bust out a bunch of attacks and then you take on exhaustion or you take on a bunch of like damage whether it's like psychic damage or you know, whatever kind of damage, yeah. uh, it is physiological possible uh, as long as it
4: makes sense so logical, for the narrative. Yeah, it's yeah. thematic mm-hmm. and it's mechanical. So so the fact that the you win, br- win, win. Yeah. the fact yeah.
3: you brought that up about that story is so bizarre because I just thought Did about that story. Did you save a
2: baby out of a car? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, it was a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. That's a baby to me. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what Michael no, was trying I, to I, save. I was just literally watching uh, Joe Bob Briggs, my favorite horror movie host, last night, and there was a movie, and, and this lady is basically being pursued by this monster. She's got her, like, you know, four-year-old kid with her, and she has to move this, this heavy stone. And I'm like, dude, there is no mother on this face of this planet that would not... Literally throw that stone, eighteen feet away to escape with the life of her child. But oh, yeah. sorry, that, that's a little digression. But but to go back to what what uh, when this all started, and uh, I'm starting to interrupt Cody. There was um, what John was kind of getting at with talking about you with that uh, Keenan was that basically that's your character embracing the story, and that's your you embracing your character coming up with a very logical reason. Yeah, absolutely. Why you, would, why you might be able to do this thing. And I think that's something that all DMs should encourage their their, character, their players to do is to always know your character very well, be involved with the story. And not, I think, obviously, if you're doing your job as a DM, your players are involved with the story at some level. Maybe not everybody's as deep. Because sometimes stuff happens personally for characters that make them more involved in the story. Um, but if, you, uh, if you're embracing that as a character, you're going to have more of these creative thoughts. And I think that's that's a fantastic example of that. So, so about did you finish your thought, Cody? I'm all done. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, cool. I wasn't interrupted at no, all. No, no, okay, good. So, okay, <laughs> this is crazy. So the whole time uh, I, I wasn't being
2: uh, sly about that. I, like I, I was done.
0: I love you. I love you. <laughs> Gosh, guys, get a room. Um, so all right, here's the deal. This whole time we've been talking. I, have, I cannot stop thinking about this old Arnold Schwarzenegger movie called The Last Action Hero. And I'm sitting here going, why? Like I'm sitting here going, why am I thinking of this movie while we're having this conversation? And it finally occurred to me. So in Last Action Hero, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a action hero that has like, he's like a... James he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger basically he's like an action dude who fights villains it's kind of a James Bond kind of thing too but anyways there's this kid who loves his movies and always goes and watches his movies and he does crazy things in these movies like jumps from one building to the next or shoots a car and the whole car explodes or you know punches punches a glass and like you know he's, he's unharmed right and the kid loves it and then if I remember the plot correctly this uh, the guy who runs the movie theaters this old man who turns out he used to be like a, a magician or something he gives him a magic ticket that lets him go into the movie. And so suddenly he, this little kid's now traveling with Arnold Schwarzenegger in this action movie, doing action hero stuff. And then because of, you know, plot reasons, they come back into our world. And in our world, he, you know, Arnold's like, they're trying to track down a bad guy that escaped into our world. And then there's this one scene where like, he punches a, a car window out. Cause he's going to like hijack the car. Cause they got to you know, hurry and get across town. And he's like, he pulls his hand back and he's like, ow! and he's got like shards of glass in his hands and he's bleeding. He's like, what the heck? And then that's just the first thing. Like, so now that he's in our world, He there's consequences to do things like that, right? So the reason I I finally realized I'm thinking about this movie is because Dungeons & Dragons, you know, heroes or anti-heroes, they are action heroes. They are in a story where they can do things that just transcend, you know, the laws of physics and the things we do in our world. So that's why as a DM and as a player, I think you should be comfortable letting even those mechanics get stretched further in order to have these awesome action moments.
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, it was really <laughs> that you brought that up. I'm sorry. I'm a bad podcast host. I love that soundtrack to that movie so much. <laughs> Charlie and I were making a trip from Iowa uh, back to here after he got out of the, out of the army. And um, unfortunately we only had three tapes. One of them was like Collective Soul's first album, and the other one was I think uh, it, oh, it was uh, it was House of Pain, their 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 first album. And that we had the last action soundtrack, <laughs> soundtrack. of all things. Oh my god! Could Alice... you tell
0: our audience what a tape is? Oh, yeah. shut like up! Like, uh, or... yeah. no, like a track, or
3: no, a cassette tape. Oh. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm not okay. that freaking old. Uh, <laughs> Mike so, was but we were talking who, about like
2: like when CDs came out. Yeah. Mike would like put a pencil through the CD hole and try to rewind it. No, no, no. Mike's <laughs> always been about technology.
3: I got onto the CD uh, track way early. A lot of Laziness. people were like, "What is this?" So I'm like, "This is fucking cool. That's <laughs> what this is." But no, Allison Chain Cypress. Hill, ACDC, uh, Tesla, so many damn great bands. Okay. Well, I'm listening to tonight. I'm sorry, I, I totally digress, but God, I love that soundtrack. The first aggression in all of the W podcasts.
4: So.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, was going to say off of John's point is that um, it kind of clicked in my mind that, and I, because I was watching, uh, when I work, I turn on Marvel movies because I can listen to them in the background and it doesn't distract me as much. It kind of makes me actually focus. But, anyways, Barring that. Um, I was actually, yeah, I know. I was watching, not watching, I was listening to game today, and it kind of triggered my mind when you said this movie has like this action hero and you can be action heroes, but it triggered my mind that there was this moment which, you know, brings me, brings me a little bit to tears when uh, Spider-Man shows up to, uh, and shows up again, and Iron Man sees him for the first time. You know, he's basically about to die, and then Spider-Man saves him, and then they have that moment where they hug, and, they're in the middle of, like, this giant battle. Like, how right. how does someone not, like, attack them or fight them? And it triggered my mind that that's, like, kind of like a cinematic moment. But at the same time, if you're having a cinematic moment in the middle of combat, it now becomes also a rule of cool because you have six seconds in your turn. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I just thought that would be really cool. It's like the rule of cool actually mixes up with our cinematic moment.
4: I was going to say, I think the cinematic moment is actually just elongated rule of cool. It, it it is a rule of cool that we have implemented and we gave it its own name because it's so significant in our storytelling.
2: Yeah. Captain America grabbing the hammer. Straight up rule of oh, cool. Oh, when they're at the party and is yeah. just
0: like No, no well, but not at the no, party at No. No. That is that is rule of cool. No. He is worthy. He is worthy. And that's he worthy. why. Okay. All-car. I knew it. All-car. Captain
3: America yeah. is the greatest <laughs> superhero of all times. Whoa, so cool. whoa
1: whoa whoa whoa.
3: Sorry, he's he's my favorite superhero. This podcast also. is about to get favorite, off, off the rails. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, it's,
1: it's it's not the question it's no. No, you're totally right, bro. That's <laughs>
3: you're,
4: uh, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my god.
0: Um okay, so there's obviously going to be people listening to this podcast that are mechanically minded almost to a fault. So, how do you like to those guys? Like what do you say as far as like cuz you might be sitting at a table with a DM who is uh, <laughs> cool with the rule of cool and other players that love it, and then are you, are, you know, how what would you say to that player that's like, no, we have to stick to the rules? Like,
4: put on some smooth jazz <laughs> and just go with the flow. Be happy,
2: man. D and I think an ongoing theme of D and D is to talk to your players and talk Absolutely. to your DM. Yeah, uh, we we've,
3: we've definitely come across. We've actually talked about that a few times now, where we've realized that the communication because we have such good communication mm-hmm. It almost the,
2: doesn't seem like a problem for us. But it's not. It no. has have best the It is a problem, yeah. Yeah. Well,
3: but but when you're playing with strangers, when you're playing with or maybe not even strangers, people you don't know well. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're maybe you're going to your game shop and you're hosting a game, and maybe it's adventure league, maybe it's whatever. Um, I think that communication is key. And also letting your players know, to John's point, right off the bat, what your style is. Now, if I sit down with a guy that says my style is, is very rules heavy, very mechanical, very um, uh, driven by, by these mechanics, I would like that guy to be really honest with me from the b- very beginning. Because to be absolutely truthful, I'd bow out. You know, but that's me. That's how I am as a player. So being really upfront with your players and what your style is. Our styles are all very similar, as we've talked about, right? Our styles are all very similar and we definitely embrace the narrative a lot and we do a lot of things, but they're not completely similar. We definitely have our own ways of doing things.
4: So I would say communication is a two-way street, as, as we all know. So it, I, I agree. I would want someone to be upfront, sit at the table and let people know, or even if you're forming your own group with friends, let them know what you expect from it players need to be able to communicate back what it is and i think that instead of i would challenge you instead of bowing out in that circumstance unless you really don't have time for it is to you know give back say i understand you want a rules heavy game i'm a huge role player i'm gonna do my best to utilize the mechanics for role play but i would like some leniency no and it's implied it It doesn't have to be like i want leniency i need to be attention it's more like (laughs) i'm role playing we got to work
3: together. No, and I would agree with that statement completely. Uh, when when I say that I would bow out, it's because of my past experience I've been playing so long that I know what I like and what I don't like. And I know I I know the time demands that we have to play. Absolutely. You know, it's a little bit about that So for me. That was why I would bow out because I've been in those rare very very mechanically driven moments where I played in this campaign where this guy was very much about combat was very organized and it was very realistic. It was a realistic view of p- combat. Bow fighters in back doing this. Bowfighters fighters never get close to combat. Uh, the heavies do this. This does this. This does this. This does this. And you have to, you had to move within that. And if you didn't move within that frame of the combat, he penalized you for that. That's not why I play role playing games. For if I sure. wanted to play, if I wanted to play a war game, I'll play a war game. And I like war games. There's nothing wrong with them. I played plenty of war games in my life. I love those kind of things. It's a separate entity, but it's a separate entity. And so, you, and that's where to me, where I think. Dungeons and Dragons is the perfect place to embrace the rule of cool because what has it said in almost every edition since this game began?
4: I believe all of them say that you can use what you want.
3: Exactly. These are just these are just guidelines. These rules are guidelines. Use it how you want. Make it your own game because that's how this game was born. This game was born as the original homebrew. It yeah. was it was literally Dave Arneson uh, sitting around uh, playing these tabletop war games and he wanted to, he, he, so another guy, and I can't remember this guy's name, did save my life, Bronstein, ran this game called Bronstein. And what it did, it was the first time that people, instead of being in charge of armies, they were in charge of individual characters who were in charge of these armies. They gave them personality. The gave them personalities. personalities and gave them, and, and gave them, and all of a sudden, what, he, what this guy found when he was doing this is, the players took and ran with it. They were like, they were coming up with side, you know, negotiations. They were coming up with, with handing secret notes to each other, coming up with all these cool things. And Dave Arneson saw that and said, oh my God. Like, his mind got blown. He got something here. Got something here. Yeah, and so he took the he took the uh, the basic mechanics of Chainmail, which was the first fantasy tabletop uh, combat game, and created his own role-playing game. And that's really, honestly, as much as Gary Gygax gets so much credit, it really was Dave Arneson who really created the game that we know and love today. And that's why Dungeons & Dragons is perfect for homebrew. It's perfect for things like the cinematic moment, things like Rule of Cool. You think it's good
0: to start out... Focusing on the rules, like if you just started playing yeah. and like, cause, cause that's kind of what you did with Chauvin and curse of Stride. Like you really tried to play him very much mechanically until you got comfortable. And then once you were comfortable, you started asking for the occasional rule of cool moment.
3: Yeah, I know I, it is important. I mean, obviously the rules are there for a reason and that's to, to, to bring uh, order to the chaos and, and you have to have those rule sets and you have to have some things, and obviously we, we're, we're, we we don't just throw the rule book out. We play by the rules all the time, but we're but we're lenient enough or we're creative enough to decide that there are the moments where those rules need to be bent a little bit, or, or well, in, in Cody's case, bent, and some of our cases just outright broken for the sake of the story.
1: I think that's a great point. Uh, John was talking to me too, and as you as well, is just when you're thinking about playing a new class or playing in the first time at all, you know, take... 30 minutes, go over your class, see what you can do. I mean, playing as a a sorcerer might be not the best idea for someone who's just starting out with D&D 5th edition because, well, you know, there's a lot of things to take into account. Um, But playing that fighter, there's not too much to, you know, read over, memorize, and know what you have. And then at that point, um, going in and role-playing that character now that you have the solid foundation uh, I'm sorry, you keep cutting me out, and I keep, anyways. Oh, did you cut it? Yeah. Oh, that was weird. <laughs> so, sorry. But you have that solid foundation, and now you can then use those, these those solid foundations so, to go so forward. You,
0: so you would say, like, and I think you're all saying this, like, stay within certain boundaries, right? They're a little fuzzy to define, but you kind of can define them because you're you're not saying, like, oh, I'm a fighter, and wouldn't it be cool if I cast magic missile and then sw- you know swung my sword right? Like because you 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 literally can't cast magic missiles, so no, you can't. Yeah. But a sorcerer saying, "Hey, I want to burn all my sorcery points, take two levels of exhaustion, and and you know can I cast this spell that I don't normally have access to?" I would say because magic is, or the weave is flowing through a sorcerer's veins. As a DM, when a player asks me that, I go, "Well, yeah, I guess maybe you could." You know, and maybe this is the moment with the adrenaline that you would do that, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think here's the thing, too. I think that there's always been homebrew in Dungeons & Dragons from day one, right? I homebrewed the crap out of second edition. I've seen more homebrew material out there, more rules of cool kind of thing, more cinematic moments, more uh, alternate class uh, configurations and archetype configurations than I've seen ever before in D&D. And one of those reasons is, is even though, yes, there is a rule set for 5th edition, it's also probably the rules-light version of D&D. It's the first time ever that they really went for a very rules-light, very role-playing heavy version over all the other versions. Because as we know, the like 2nd edition had DACO and had a lot of other things you had to deal with. Um, and then what ended up happening is you, when you got into like 3.5 and 4th edition, it became super Pathfinder. Right, It became super heavy because Pathfinder was the juggernaut that they were dealing with. And so to compete with them, they had to do this too. And I think what happened was people who really love Pathfinder, like Cody, still want to play a Pathfinder and they love it. It's still a popular game, but there was a whole new set, a whole new audience of people out there that weren't ready for that. They didn't want that. They wanted something a little lighter.
2: I have a magic missile story just to kind of <laughs> <laughs> reverse us back a we little bit. We love magic, magic, magic missiles. Missile. So I was DMing Strahd and I had a bunch of like falling debris that was going to fall on top of the players and I had to make dex saves to get out of the debris. Um, we had an Eldritch Knight and a Wizard. And I think they failed their dex checks. So they wanted to try something. They wanted to use the reaction. The Eldritch Knight wanted to shoot magic missile at the debris to have advantage on her dex check. And then the wizard wanted to cast shield uh, in order to have advantage on the dex checks. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, spend the spell slots. You have advantage. Uh, this will never happen again. Uh, just because I think it's super cool. But it's, it's a little breaking. So this will be the one time that will happen. And uh, they were able to succeed their dex checks. Like three turns later, they tried the same thing. So I had to say no because
0: I made the rule. Like, it was only going to happen once because I thought it was cool.
2: But I thought that was a very creative use of an offensive spell. I really like that you
0: did that too. Like I like that you were like, okay, I'm gonna let you do this one time just cause it's so cool. Mm-hmm. And then like literally a few minutes later, like I want to do that again. And you're like, no, I said I was going to let you do it once, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I, <laughs> it, how would you deal with a player that, cause this is real, right? Like let's say for example, at the beginning we did the whole Boblin thing, right? Where he ran up the ax and, and attacked the giant, even though he was out of movement. And then next session, you have another player that goes, um, okay. I move my thirty feet, and then, uh, oh wait, I want to jump across the ravine and then attack, right? And then, and then you go, well, no, you can't use your use your movement. And then they go, but last session you let Boblin do it, so why can't I do it? What would you guys do in that scenario?
2: Well, so in my mind, in this Boblin example, he runs the thirty feet up to the giant, and looking at the board, I would imagine he's within range, attacking range of that giant. So like he could be attacking the giant's foot or leg or whatever or he could have the cool story thing where he like runs up the sword and attacks him in the head and you know he ends up landing exactly where he would be had he just attacked the giant's foot like nothing changed on the board. So
0: on that specific example, you'd be right, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like what if you what if like for real like what if you did let someone break like, the break, break a mechanic one game? And then another player wants to do the same breaking thing another game, and you say, no, like, how would you deal with that, like, not coming across as unfair or something?
4: So, yeah, what you're talking about is implied, like, consent almost, is, like, that we all have agreed that we know that this is out of the ordinary, but it's cool, so we're allowing it. That's something that, like, kind of comes with the social structure of your party that, like, you need to establish when you allow that is like you're, I'm am well, what you said, I'm going to do it because it's cool. And then, you know, depending on who your players are, you might need to have a conversation and say, hey, yeah, sometimes you can do something cool. But, like, if someone just did something cool a round ago, I'm not going to let you do something game-breaking yourself. Like, you'll get your own moments. That's something that, like, the players have to understand, the DMs understand. And, unfortunately, it might need to be a conversation. But have the conversation if it's needed. Because, really, it comes down to, like, not everyone is going to be John Wick every single turn on every single round. Yeah,
3: because what, what that really comes down to is the rule of cool is that cool part. And that cool part is determined by the DM in the moment, truly. I mean, yes, the players are coming up with the idea, but it's the DMs kind of deciding, yeah, this is the cool thing to do. Now, if you have uh, players who want to continue to do that and abuse it, then that's abuse. And the players have to embrace that, too, that rule of cool is in the moment. I just came up with this creative thought. It's not It's not now a new mechanical rule.
0: Good way of saying that. Yeah, it, yeah. it was
3: the rule for that moment, and that cool allowed. moment, to, 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 to add that excitement. It doesn't set a precedent. No, it doesn't. It is, it, it, yeah. it, it, it's a, it's a, it's that moment, uh, cinematic moment, of coolness within the game. And I just had my fingers. I don't know if the podcast it did. It did, but it's, like, um, <laughs>
4: it's the same thing as like, you're asking your players to suspend belief for a moment. Like yep. we're living in these mechanics and these are the rules. But as you watch a movie, you suspend your belief that Tony Stark is enough to make an arc reactor in Iron Man suit. Like you suspend your belief for that. We're asking you to suspend your belief for a moment that he did do this super badass thing because it was badass.
3: Yeah.
2: Going back to that jumping ac- across the ravine thing. Well, he's got 30 feet of movement and he has a standard it, action. Well, what if that uh, you you ran 30 feet? I don't see why you can't jump 20 feet. Uh, As an action? Yeah, yeah, as an action. Roll an athletics check. Sure, like the rules might say you can only jump 15 feet across or something like that. I don't know what the actual rule is for jumping across something, but uh, like I I think something along those lines, you know, put an athletics check in there, make them spend their action, like make them spend resources if jumping across the ravine is something that they think would be fun. And and this
3: is exactly why Cody is our rules lawyer, because even as he's interpreting the rule of cool, He's that thinking that about how use? it works mechanically.
2: Because it's gotta be in like the physics. <laughs> I mean <laughs> all right? But it's not because I
4: can't <laughs> physically jump five more feet though. So you defeated your own logic. Well it's bending. Like I'm also okay, <laughs> I'm okay with bending. But bending but like, physics? like like every <laughs> time you bend physics you
1: break them though.
2: <laughs> no, that it's bending. Ooh. I I can I can I can bend a popsicle
1: stick. Fi- <laughs> are you calling
4: physics popsicle sticks?
1: What if the popsicle stick I was made out of pops- adamantium? Oh, what you say? Oh, then you're you said, are you
4: calling physics like a popsicle stick? No, I'm saying I can then bend popsicle a popsicle vendor. stick. He's <laughs> got some weird physics. stuff going with, on. I'm fine with bending the rules. I know, I'm messing with you. Okay.
1: Oh, I was just going just to, just for Cody's point, um, just the, the, the bending of the rules. It's kind of more of in that moment where the character's like, oh, I want to move 30 feet, and then I want to jump the 20 feet. It, it can be a thing of... It's, it's kind of that situation with, no, but you could try to do that by yeah. giving me a check. And if you do get that check, it might be a really high check at this point. You could do it. So it's kind of like giving them a moment cinematically, but it's it may, might not be that rule of cool where you're just like, yes, let's do it.
4: For sure. I mean, and it goes back to like the three things. Is it logical? Is it thematic? And is it mechanical? It just has to be one of those three or mo- hopefully a combination of the three to actually be applicable to the game.
3: Yeah. So let's uh, let's take some uh, final moments, some final thoughts about the rule cool. And if there was anything you wanted to kind of communicate about the rule cool, um, I'm going to take the first one. And if you are a mechanically driven DM or you're a mechanically driven player, and you've hung with us this far about talking about this, what I would offer up is to perhaps try it. See how it works within your game. And if it doesn't work in your game, no big deal. Don't, Don't use the rule of cool. But you may be surprised how quickly you adapt to it and how quickly you can find logical ways for it to work within your game as Cody has just really given a fine example of how to logically take the rule of cool and work it into the game mechanics without completely breaking them. I would say also
1: just communicate that with your players and as a player, if you want to communicate that to your DM, like you'd be like, Hey, I listened to this really cool thing on the strange new worlds podcast. Uh, and you want to say they talked about this rule of cool. Maybe we could think about implementing this. Just talk to your DM and talk to your players. It, communication is number one.
2: Yeah. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with being like, I'm not the strictest person when it comes to the rules, but yeah, you know, I, I I do like the idea of rules being kind of like a puzzle to be broken. I've seen uh, streams where people do like uh, sorcerers quicken spells to do really cool things, and I'm thinking back on it, it and like, couldn't they do that? Oh yeah, that's all within the rules. So you could totally absolutely do that, <laughs> and it's super freaking cool when people do that. And it
4: that that's one hundred percent in the rules.
2: So, you, and so yeah, I, I guess that's what I got.
4: I love the real cool. Use it in your games. Have fun. That's the most important part. And don't let it break your games, but let it make things more enjoyable. Yeah, always remember that, that, that we're, arra-
3: we're around this table to have fun. To have fun. Yeah. That is what every damn session is about. Yep. We laugh our asses or, up. Or it's too much. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we cry. We're are not supposed
0: to, to tell the public that, guys. We're really oh. masculine dudes that don't ever cry. <laughs> Shut up.
3: Dude, I have seen, I have, we have literally experienced some of the best belly laughs around these tables together in all our different configurations. And I have literally seen more tears around the table than I've ever seen in my entire life. Cause that's just how involved we become with our characters in the story. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, I would
0: just say kind of to piggyback off some of the points y'all made, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, you're telling a story, right? And stories have cool moments in them. Um, but I, I would, I would circle back to Cody because, um, mechanics are so important and I hope nobody walks away from this podcast thinking that we don't think they are when, when I was, um, uh, you know, doing my studies and, and I got my degree in writing, one of the things that they talked about when it comes to creating a fantasy fiction or a science fiction setting is you come up with. The rules of the story that maybe break the physics of our world, then that's what "quote unquote" magic is in that story, or "quote unquote" the hyper drive, how the hyperdrive right. works in the science fiction story, right? But then within that story, you don't break those new physics, right? right, or those new rules, right? And I think that that's something important to keep in mind. Even though the rule cool moment might even push those things further, but at the end of the day, you know, if you're asking yourself as a DM, am I a good DM? Did my do we have a good session? The, the two things to really think about is, did people have fun, and did we tell a good story tonight?
3: Absolutely, and I think that's, that's, that's a really good point, uh, John. I mean, as a writer, that's something I've always embraced, and I embrace it when I'm watching, like watching TV or reading a book. You establish these rules. You establish this world, and anything is possible at that point within that world, as long as you stay within those confines. Looking at you, hyperspace ramming. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean that's pretty cool Cinematically But it was a terrible thing That they did and ruined the entire all record. of the yeah. uh, Broke every, every narrative They'd
3: ever written
2: before I, I, got, I got the perfect Because uh, you you mentioned The safe rhyming uh, Pirates of the Caribbean The first one uh, At the end of the movie I think it's Will Turner But uh, they're having a fight With the skeletons And Will Turner has a grenade And they're fighting The skeletons in skeleton form He puts the grenade In the guy's chest And then shoves him Out of the moonlight And the dude explodes There's I mean, like, you, that could totally be a D&D thing, a D&D moment. Uh, there's no rules for putting a grenade inside a guy's chest. Nope. <laughs> right. Nope, but it's awesome. But it would be so cool. But it, but it is
0: a bit of a mini game when you do something really creative that is completely mechanically sound, just something that no one else maybe thought of before. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's probably a separate podcast and a separate conversation, but it is tied to this because mechanics
3: can be super cool too Yeah, for mini games and stuff, we've definitely taken advantage of that a lot. And in John and I are actually kind of doing that. I know you I know you talked about a lot about what you were going to do with Lich War and you guys are about to go through King Cronus's maze. And I've kind of come up with a mini game of how that's going to work. And it's all going to be mechanics. Yeah. So
0: well guys thank you so much. This was a freaking awesome conversation. Uh I know we could keep going but we're going to wrap it up. Um Please, if you have enjoyed our podcast, we would love if you would visit us at snwproductions.com. Please go to our Patreon. We would love to have you support us uh, by supporting us in any tier. You get access to all of the modules, all of the one shots, all of the class supplements that we're putting out. We've got some fantastic materials on there. Some of those materials are absolutely free. We just want to basically give you some free candy and hook you so go check it out (laughs) see what you think and thanks for listening today everybody
3: all right thanks for hanging out with us we appreciate it